0: Welcome back to Breaking Banks. I'm your host, Brett King. Well, we have uh, one of our regulars, our regular contributors and uh, uh, participants on the show, uh, um, collaborators, if you like. Um, her, her name is, of course, Theo Lau. She has a brand new book out called The Metaverse Economy, How Finance Professionals Can Make Sense of Web 3. And so I thought we'd better get her on the show and talk about the new book. Theo, welcome back to Breaking Banks.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Love it every time when I come back.
0: You just got back from Hong Kong, right?
2: I did literally physically. I am oh. jet lagged. to spent six weeks there. Believe it or not, um, wow. it did not feel like O-ho, six weeks. But yeah, it was it was fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I haven't uh, been um, for a while, but I I think I'm I, I either have to go to Hong Kong or Singapore just to get my US visa renewed. So. Um,
2: I remember you had mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. And but and there's always fine. a good dose of uh, humidity and, and excitement. I, I would say the uh, well, space got... was very different. Don't, don't yeah. you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I've got, um, I've still got my business there, of course. So anyway, um, you, your last book was more about social good in the community, but you feel like you've sort of got back to your roots here in terms of, um, you know, it is something that from a technology perspective um, I, I can see as part of your wheelhouse I knew you were going to ask um, that but, but, <laughs> but, but why the metaverse um, and why now because you know um, obviously there's some there's there's two sides of the coin here. The one side is that Meta's pumped a bunch of cash into this and it hasn't yet sort of taken off and um, you know, um, Decentraland and, and so forth are, are struggling. But on the other side of this, you've got Apple about to launch the, the biggest device ever with virtual reality capabilities that obviously lead to greater um, immersive experiences. Yes, um, you, and yeah, and Apple doesn't do these things. You know, they doesn't they don't lose on these things. You could say you could talk about Newton or Lisa, but they always led to something bigger and better in the space. You know, so you,
2: you're very right. Um, oh, I still remember the Newton days, but uh, it, it, it's an interesting question. I, I think in Pons we got a little lucky too because when uh, Arun and I started writing the book, I still remember. My first chapter was penned in Hong Kong a year ago while I was yeah. in quarantine hotel, staring at the beautiful mm-hmm. city. And I'm like, oh my God, what on earth are we doing here? I wrote, um, <laughs>
0: I wrote most of Bank 2.0 in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>,
2: <laughs> isn't it wild? Um and um and fast forward through the last, I would say, twenty um, twenty months or so, it's been a wild ride. Um there are no lack. Of negative stories, as you say. You know, as you pointed out, people were talking about, hey, you know, Meta is tanking, this is a stupid idea. Um, I've actually had a lot of people reached out to me the last two weeks. Like, what are you doing? Um, we thought metaverse died. Um, but as you pointed out, rightfully so, Apple Vision Pro is coming out. And and I think one of the things that we stressed in the book is that look, the way that metaverse can materialize and, and you know this really, really well from from your work and from Miss Metaverse work. Um mm. is we are not close to where we will be and where we need to be. This is evolving. It's no different than asking someone back in the 80s, hey, you know, what would the internet be like? No one would think yeah. that, you know, we'll be hailing a, a cap uh with an app. We didn't think that we we're gonna be carrying Only only designers
0: use use a mouse. You know, only designers.
2: Exactly, use exactly. Remember when the first iPhone, even back then, when it came I, out,
0: I, I don't need Facebook. I'm not, I'm not a college student.
2: Exactly. So yeah. I, I think there's still so much that that could happen, and and I'm glad you brought out Beyond Good, because it does, on surface, feels like really different than the last book I wrote, but this one, in collaboration with with Arun. Part of what I wanted to make sure that we bring forth is the concept of community. Um, There's a lot of things that's been happening with our current state of affairs with the internet where, you know, we keep talking about inclusion. We keep talking about needing different voices in the ecosystem, but yet has not materialized. And I'm hoping that we can get in early with this next version of what it's going to be like and bring in different
0: voices. Great. Great.
3: There's well, it a also no. I see.
0: I see the <laughs> correlation. Um, you know, you could argue, right, that um, Web three and decentralization and and um, you know, DeFi and so forth, um, as as well as CBDCs. There's sort of two sides of one coin. And um, you know, this is just the digitization of the world is happening, right? As you know, and the internet sort of enabled that. And then, if you look at smart glasses or augmented reality. And you look at the, the, if you look at it on a trending basis from like the 1960s, um, through to today, then what you have is computers getting significantly more powerful as they, as they get older, right. As, as, uh, with each generation, um, and, and cheaper, obviously, um, Moore's law, but at the same time, the interface evolves to the simplest form of operation. So you have a baby that can operate in an iPad right now, right. Um, you know but where do you take it from here for something simpler you integrate it with the body so you use gestures for control you augment your vision, you augment your hearing you know that is the logical uh, extrapolation of where computing goes there's no there's no um, use fighting it it's only a question of when not if um, based on you know um, like innovation in the past right I mean that's what I would argue
2: I I, I agree I'll add to it too Is I think it is going to happen regardless of what we think about it, right? Just like digital assets. The the question that I want to make sure that we bring forth is let's not leave too many people behind. No. And and as simple as that, you know, as it evolves, where are the use cases and what do they serve? And who do they serve? Um is an interesting question. And that's why I always tell people, and you know this, Brett, you're you're sitting in Asia at the moment, and I just came back from there. There, there are a lot more interesting use cases that people are poking at in Asia than we do in the U.S. You know, people are looking yeah. at what can we use for education? For example, you know, HKUST, they're looking at building a, a physical digital twin campus between Hong Kong and Guangzhou, which is very fascinating. South yeah. Korea, there's so much going on there. And, and it makes me wonder, remember those days back then when, um, oh my goodness, when we still used to have um, phones in the US, the CDMA ones where we cannot take to Europe right, and right. Asia. And, and yeah, there's so, crazy. that was, oh my God, yeah. that was insane. I had two phones because of that. But yeah. um, where, where there were physical and, and digital borders, if you will, we had walled gardens and all of that. So could this be an evolution where we break that down? I would love well, to... Yeah. I, yes. I mean, I,
0: I, think, um, I think that's indeed possible. I think AI may even be a more, um, powerful tool in that respect, as long as it's not, um, you know, I, 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 I think the genie's roughly out of the bottle and I don't, I think, I think we are already at the point where we don't know enough about how AI does what it does to control it in the way we think we are, you know, but anyway. I don't want to get off the track, because um, <laughs> uh, it's not an AI show. But um, uh, in, in the book, um, obviously, you go into more of the sort of industry flavor stuff. And, you know, obviously, you've been deeply involved in the fintech um, space, um, you know, over the last uh, few years. So you've got a good sense of what's been happening there. Um, but, um, you know, I, I look at this, and I look at at this as sort of a lot of definitions and a lot of um work in sort of establishing um you know what is web3 what are nfts you know what's DeFi, and so forth um and then it you know then you can get into the economic models and and so forth in the second half of the book um but do you think that that was really you know, a necessary part? Do you think that that's still, that those terms are still confusing to mainstream, you know, financial professionals or?
2: That's an interesting question. I think it is, it is still, that's a really broad question, Brad. Um, I think it is, it, it can be confusing, but again, I will go back to ask you, remember, oh, was it last year? Oh, someone asked, someone asked that question and it stuck with me. Do consumers really care? if you are using um, a, a new bank versus a bank bank that you have a branch, so long as they can get what they need to get to, right. it doesn't matter, yeah. right? And and I think that that is the gist of it. You can call it, you know, NNC is more than just, you know, an, an ape. Um, it also represented an identity. It also represents what it could be in the future and what we leverage it for. Um, And it's the same thing for the metaverse where a lot of the movement and a lot of conversations started was more so for the creator side. How do they get a bigger piece of the pie? And so it becomes a vehicle for them to get to where they need to get to, to create a community, to have ownership of what they do. And where does that evolve to? I think when it brings into the pot of banking, what is interesting, um, maybe definition is a good word for it, but more so, what it represents. It doesn't represent setting up just like someone's digital portrait in the metaverse and call it you're in the metaverse. That doesn't count. Um, how would you want it to come across to serve the people? That's what matters. And I don't think we're quite there. Yeah.
0: No, um, no, I think that's fair. Yeah. In, in terms of the industry overall, there's obviously been fairly rapid maturation. Um, You know but um the the reality is if we are talking about building communities in the metaverse i i could see people coming into a platform and building communities that are involved in creating a world on that platform for example or you know um come together for certain you know for gaming or entertainment reasons or whatever Um, but at the same time you still you, you still have the problem of Affordable devices mm-hmm. um, and broad accessibility to high-quality internet, and um, you know better battery tech for the headsets. Because right now, you either have to have them plugged in, or you have to carry this big battery pack for the premium um, devices. So we're still in, you know, sort of that early prototyping stage. But you know, using the analogy of Ready Player One and the Oasis, um. You know, and again this is an interesting argument because you could see something like a platform like Oasis emerging out of some of these models as an example but um, you're not necessarily getting something decentralized um, you know the whole point of this was that there was you know of the movie was or the book was there was you know one person that had control of this entire, um, you know, realm essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's more likely what we see, you know, with Meta's pursuit and so forth. But, um, you know, how do you build a platform that can really build a convincing, you know, metaverse environment? Um, if, if it's not, you know, had billions of dollars of development put into it. Um, I can see it from the industrial web three perspective. I can see that building up by a community. No problem. But when it comes to sort of the broader view of what the metaverse is, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of not the digital twin concept necessarily, but the sort of ready player one, you know, meta horizon worlds type vision, right?
2: I think that that's a fair point. I don't know either. Um, I think a room might might have an idea. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I will be honest with so you. So he's done
0: know. more of the economics b- portion of the book too, right?
2: Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah. He is.
0: Which um you no, know, there's some compelling arguments I flicked through earlier in terms of some of the logic in terms of the models. I think um, you know, he made some some good points there. So um well, he has been I, in I, it I, for
2: I, three years, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um I, I I think I think one of the things you So did, the book
0: took you three years to write?
2: No, he started he started having a concept of he so so I'll give you a background of, of how this happened. Um, this was a year Please. and a half ago. And uh, I just went back on the road because you know, kind of got locked in yeah. for a little while because of this little, you know, thing that we called COVID. The situation. And- <laughs> the situation. That's a good way to term it. Um. And uh. And then I I took my first trip and that was to London and uh, that was for Finnovate Europe. And I remember Arun and I met for lunch and he told me he's deep in this metaverse thing and he is working with Bouliverse and he's talking about gaming now background my kids do gaming they love Roblox right
0: love Roblox Roblox, right? Roblox team Roblox here with with Roblox uh, exactly my, uh, my two kids as well Char- Charlize and uh, Thomas we all we play every weekend together no matter exactly world yeah, yeah that's
2: what we do so we're playing Roblox together but that that's my understanding of, of the gaming yeah that's a
0: I mean that's a good um, proxy for the metaverse right that was early that prototype was. metaverse if you like
2: That was. And and it still is a great example of how you gather people together and they want to do something and spend time together. Um, And that's the kids more than version of play dates. They sit next to each other with computers. I I don't get that, but OK. And that was how this all started. He talked my ear off and I was skeptical. He will tell you that I was extremely skeptical. And uh, I told him what the hell is this? He came from financial inclusion VC funding, um, looking at emerging economies to now he's all in gaming and and uh, metaverse. And um, and I said, you know what? Let's put all the thoughts together in a book and see where that goes. And so that's where that went. But what was really interesting and eye-opening um, is that by doing that, and that was um, when we wrapped up and the Apple announcement came, was what resonated, and you touched on it earlier, um, the business part of it. The not so much so the consumer metaverse, but what the businesses could use with this metaverse and technology, you talk about the cost of the handset, you talked about the digital, the broadband and connectivity. And a lot of times we're not quite there yet. It's still expensive. And a lot of people are not connected in a way that you can leverage the technology and the tech is not completely built out. I mean, you know, we're still talking about UX. We're still talking about bringing and bridging the Fiat, the fiat to the um, Web3 assets world. So there's all of that that needs to be worked out. But what was really interesting, and we put that in the book, was Microsoft, which took me by surprise because when we talked with them, we spent quite a bit Oh, of you time managed to
0: squeak that in.
2: We did squeak that in uh, oh. and um, and they said, look, we think this is gonna be interesting. We acknowledge the challenges that that's there, but we think where it could be interesting is that the future is not about us all walking around, sitting around with headset. is that this environment is gonna be immersive in a way that we can all be there, we'll use our existing devices, we use our existing environment and we we use that from a business perspective first. And that yeah. will be the opening, um, which- Yeah, it'll
0: probably replace your laptop screen or something like that. Exactly. So, yeah.
2: And I can totally see that, that as a way to get us into the world, no different than Apple, the Vision Pro. Yeah. People are saying the headset is expensive and all of that. Well, I, yeah, but maybe version one is not a consumer yeah, the device. First,
0: the first Macintosh, which was the Macintosh XL was actually a Lisa was in today's money like twelve thousand dollars for you know a, an early personal computer mm-hmm. in today's money so yeah I mean um look at the first mobile phone yeah it was 4500 bucks or whatever oh right?
2: my god yes um, I than remember the, that you know? <laughs> in the 90.
0: Um, yeah so um so this is you know 3300 for a developer headset for some pretty cool tech is actually pretty reasonable historically speaking but mm-hmm. You know, and and leads, of course, to um, you know, uh five hundred dollar, thousand dollar units that are um, you know, super capable in a few years. The tech they've got in that thing is just amazing. We had uh, Brian Romley and, and Robert Scoble on to talk about the week, you know, the week of the launch and um, you know, it just a really amazing conversation in terms about where this where this sort of sort of whole thing goes. So to my point, Apple is definitely are going to be a key player in this. Um, but in the models that you propose, you, you don't necessarily think that these big players are going to dominate, that there still may be room for more sort of community-based stuff, right?
2: We think so. We think so, and I hope so. I mean, you know, if you look at the last big tech revolution, if you will, um, we've changed hands. New players have emerged and new things have emerged. So there is no reason why we wouldn't see the same thing. And, and that is, you know, when it boils down to it, there's a lot of people that talk about, well, you know, this is all full of, I, I'm not going to say this on air, um, but, but this is, this is, this is, this is not, this is not real. And I'll say to it is the current version of the world leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, it's, it's we can, a, it's you know, wonderful. we can beep you out so if you change. want to drop, a, drop the
0: f-bone yeah. or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have maintained a streak of not doing it, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that. But, uh, but, but you know, there's room for improvement, to say the least, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. don't like what a lot of the things that we see right now. I don't like where the power is. So, if this is a new paradigm that we can try, why not?
0: I didn't get into this in, in great detail. What do you th- What do you think is the role that AI has to play in the metaverse space?
2: you it's no different than asking what the role software plays in today's world. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Fair it's going to be everywhere. I think it will get to the point where we'll stop talking about this as AI powered because it's everywhere. I mean, look right. at, no, I agree. In, in fact, um,
0: you know, I've got a, I've got a shtick that I do on stage that makes that exact point. So um, yeah, no, I I'm in fierce agreement. Um, yeah. That, that, pr- that, that, you know, we will have this period uh, of advice where we are augmenting human advice with AIs and people will naturally promote that as a differentiation from human-based advice. We use AI for wealth management. We use AI for giving you the best insurance deal. We use AI for giving you the best medical diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, once we learn to trust that that augmented advice, that it is actually the best advice that that we could get, then, then we'll realize that, well, we really don't need the humans to give this advice because it's really the AI that's powering the advice. So let's plug in directly into the AI. That's my my view.
2: You remind me of uh, driving instructions, directions, right? Remember the days, in the old days, we used to get the paper maps from AAA and then we evolved to printing the maps out from the computer. Right. And then we now we just hop into the car and follow Google Map or
0: yeah. Apple Map yeah, or exactly. what have you. Yeah. Yeah, well, we trust it.
2: Exactly. So it's the same thing. I think what what would be interesting and and what I could see it playing out is the whole issue of data privacy. And what we can do with the data and who have access and control with the data. And I think that correlates to some of the discontent that we might Mm -hmm. have with the big players right now is if you take a step back and you look at our roles. In this digital society, I feel like humans are nothing more than producers for data to feed into this machine.
0: We should have Drumwave on, actually. Drumwave has this data wallet concept that they've just launched in Brazil, which is pretty interesting as a, as a way for people to um, monetize their uh, data in a, in a personal wallet. So pretty, pretty interesting concept. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we should get them get, get them on. Um, but uh, look, we're running out of time, Theo. So, how do people find out about the metaverse economy? How finance professionals can make sense of Web3? Yeah, I did put my Ooh. radio voice on. Right? I'd
2: like that. Um, I so could it, do my
0: Hollywood it, it, announcer voice as well. The no, metaverse no. economy. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. <laughs> nope, that that last part was better. um It's on Amazon. uh If you are in the UK, you're in luck; you can get it right away. If you are brat so yes, oh my God, I have you my can't copy. See it Exactly, you have your copy. Yeah, there, I have are, my
0: copy, right here. There are less than twelve uh, people right now that have it. Mail. Yeah, well, Aww. that's that rocks, man. That's that's why I got you on the. <laughs> that's why. I, see what happens? You do night sings The the host get you on the show. <laughs>
2: you um and for the rest of mere models sorry uh, they will be on amazon end of the month but
0: uh, it's already you know. hit the number one um bestseller for a new uh new release new new release right so congrats on that that never Thank gets you. old right it, it never, never gets old, old you know yeah. I mean, I still, I still am getting on Amazon, you know, once every few weeks looking at the rank of bank four, because it's been in the top 10 for like five years. And I'm like, it can't still be there, right? Well, between
2: you and Palo.
0: I know, I know, Palo's (laughs) the same, right?
2: So, I mean, you know, I'm just glad we got a chance to just peek through a little bit, but...
0: um... No, no, no. I mean, this is the thing. (laughs) It's like, I don't know why. (laughs) I can say it's just a really good book, but, you know... uh, It is
2: a good uh, book. Actually, you know, traveling back in time, that was how I met you, was you actually signed the book. I was like, oh my God, I just met god in person. Um, <laughs> it was in san francisco. i had some i've had some funny image.
0: interactions over the mm. year with the whole book. Thing. i had some someone come up to me in a single a lobby of a singapore hotel in 2012. it was like you know the, two years after bank or a year after bank two launched and they wanted my autograph in a, it, it just out of nowhere in this singapore hotel he's like are you breaking the author of, i've got my book right here i was just reading it you know um i'm and glad they stuff, didn't chase
2: you down the bathroom yeah
0: true that's a bit <laughs> free but you do you know um that's i mean um that sounds a bit weird you you get used to that sort of being part of the job you know um but uh no this is great man you know you've got uh you got this new book out, it always helps, always raises the profile. And, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, for anyone who gets a book published. I I know it's like when Elon says getting to orbit's really hard, I know how hard it is to get a book published. So I'm always uh, I'm grateful for the work that these authors put in and, um, and uh, you know, for, for your contribution, Theo. So thanks.
2: No, thank you. I appreciate it. I learned it from the best of you guys, so I appreciate it.
0: Collaboration is also very important in this game. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thanks very much. You're listening to Breaking Banks. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This show is brought to you by Alloy Labs. As much as we love talking on the show, we believe that action is more valuable than talk. Alloy Labs is the industry leader in helping fearless bankers drive exponential growth through collaboration, exclusive partnerships, and powerful network effects that give them an unfair advantage. Learn more at AlloyLabs.com. Alloy Labs. Banking Unbound. Welcome back to Breaking Banks. For this part of the show, we have uh, Jason Henricks joining me in the hosting chair. Hey, Jace. Hello. And we've got a great guest, all the way from Europe. Um, a uh, a name that will be known to uh, most of you, I'm sure. She's she's a uh, an author in the space, a best-selling author now, and um, an influencer uh, in uh, many aspects of, of fintech policy. You know, um, operational aspects. She's worked in the trenches. Lida Glypherts, Doctor Lita Glypherts, welcome <laughs> to the show.
3: Very very good to be here with you guys.
0: The doctor
1: is <laughs> in the house.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> So, um, I know, uh, um, that you've recently been tweeting out a little bit about, uh, what's been happening in your, um, in your home nation community back in Greece. And, uh, it's timely that, uh, we're just doing the show as, um, you know, we have this major, um, wildfires happening in Hawaii. Of course, California and Australia have had to deal with this for a couple of years now, but you now have some pretty serious climate change impact stuff hitting, hitting Greece as we are prepping for, for, um, the show and we we're just chatting, you were saying about the desert, desertification of, uh, Greece. Can you explain a little bit more about that?
3: The um first of all, thank you for taking the time to talk about this because it's it's deeply unpleasant. It is scary and, and it is so easy for, for all of us to to put it out of our mind and, and move forward. Um Greece is not alone in having these uh, wildfires every summer. Um, they're particularly bad in in the southern med. Greece has always had them, but the the extent and, and the number of them seems to be increasing every year. Portugal had the same parts of Italy had the same and 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 it's um, it's often caused by humans. It's not wildfires in a lot of these cases. it's carelessness or arson. and of course it's made worse by man-made climate change. And what we're hearing specifically for Greece is that the constant um, cycles of, of fires and the extremely limited reforest, reforestation has meant that in certain areas, there is irreversible desertification. In a country that wow. was in the um, a, a, a sort of mild and gentle part of Europe, Greece has, has it, its problems, but climate was never one of those. We're hearing that there are areas that are just desert now, that have transitioned to uh, um, an irreversible devastation of the flora and fauna. We're seeing uh, foxes appear in urban areas, and I'm I'm taking this this uh, podcast from London, where foxes in urban areas are normal. When I was growing up in Greece, foxes were in the same category as wolves and lions, wild animals you would not. But but there's no safety and there's no food. And what we're also hearing is swarms of bees uh, descending on islands and coastal areas as they flee the fires. And, of course, you can imagine what happens if you run a five-star resort in an unaffected yeah. island and all of a sudden you have swarms of bees. You're going to kill them to make it more comfortable for your… Right, and the bee
0: population's already at threat around the world. Exactly.
3: So, so you're hearing about these swarms of bees and, and these um, hotel managers who are the end of their wits because they can't they see it as a threat to their livelihood and you think we're all yeah. gonna die.
0: Yeah, like I mean, this is this is the thing. Um, you know, the implications of this, it is a system. And so we're talking about the sixth great extinction and that, but you're starting to see a flow-on effect of things. And we're, you know, we're having to realistically have a discussion these days about whether certain regions of the planet will remain habitable or livable for humans i mean this this is an insane conversation to be having at the same time as fossil fuel companies trying to slow down adoption of renewables and green tech and so forth because they want to keep the gravy train going a bit longer It just it just blows my mind i i know I, i can get a bit passionate about these things but um in terms of um the, the broader fintech and financial services space. We have seen uh, some debate about um, ESG and greenwashing. Um, I, um, I did record an episode just for a podcast. We're helping um, commercial banker Dubai in, in Dubai produce. And we had a couple of really good climate, climatologists on talking about uh, this, the fact that there is actually progress being made in this area. But... Um, you know there, there's also plenty of financial institutions that are still quite happy to keep supporting the old system so what's um,
1: um, bro I, I think we need to call out because at least in the us and i think the same is still true globally should banks and funds have a stance on esg let's dig into the you know the environmental piece of this and it's part of this they're just calling it out this anti-woke like be oh i don't want bank. Right. Right. Like, I I don't think, you know, banks should be taking a political stance. But, you know, I want to nail this and say it is not political political political
0: anymore, right? It's it's not political. The
1: U.S. Department of Defense says one of the greatest strategic risks in the world is actually climate change. Yeah. Creating the desert. I,
3: I agree with you. I, I think that we're we're past this being political. I know it is still being politicized, uh, but we're we're past that. The uh, as I you mean, say, the, the population middle, right? declines more, we die. That's not political. That's existential. Yeah. And I I am um, I'm with you in my dismay of of the of the greenwashing efforts that we have seen. And I have absolutely no doubt that there's a very large uh, chunk of entities out there that play at ESG, that um do just enough on the surface without it's it's exactly the same as we saw when we started our innovation and digitization work, uh when we when we saw right, the first right, right. in inclusion, all of those initiatives, there is a very large chunk of of um of entities that will do just enough, just for show. Slap know. on a
0: press release and, and appoint someone exactly. to a head the department and, you know, and, and,
3: and some. buy some carbon credits. But I yeah, will yeah. say that I have seen some, some uh, major systemic banks in Europe that are genuinely asking themselves the hard questions. And I, I was part of a piece of work that entailed looking at their um, technology footprint and assessing the quality of electricity used in the various countries where they had um, exposure either through their cloud providers or through more traditional um, data centers, and actually taking a view of the quality of electricity. Now, that's a second-order consideration. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I would say that in the U.K. um, and and the U.S., most entities are nowhere near there.
0: No, they- actually, it's interesting that you've had players like Apple and, and Google sort of be you know, and Amazon be leaders in this front because, you know, they, they are large providers of obviously data centers and and technology. And so they've had to make sure they've got that box ticked from a reputation perspective, but more banks should be, more banks should be definitely looking at this. And I think it's a, I don't think it's political, political position. I think it's a moral position now.
3: I totally agree with you. I think inevitably we'll have some political ramifications. So for instance, the um, the exercise I was part of inevitably led to a conversation around uh, nuclear energy production because from a carbon footprint perspective, nuclear energy production is cleaner.
0: And there's some next-gen nuclear technology that looks pretty interesting, like thorium reactors and so forth, right?
3: Exactly. Now, the adoption of nuclear... Energy production in countries that haven't gone down that path—it's a deeply political conversation. Uh, So you—you are inevitably, particularly if you're a global entity and you're you're assessing the the ESG ramifications of your global footprint, and you're genuinely committed to having a a lighter tread on the planet and using cleaner energy, those conversations will inevitably become. linked to policies around energy production, employment. Because if you think about the European Union context, how easy would it be for some of these banks to go, okay, we're going to consolidate all of our um, exposure in France that produces um, nuclear-backed electricity versus those three other countries. And all of a sudden, you have a major employer withdrawing 1,000 jobs, 2,000 jobs. So I think I agree with you. It is a moral issue. The ramifications will be political very soon and we have to face into it. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any avoiding it. Um, We're right in the midst of it right now. And the costs, uh, a damage, you know, from these extreme weather events is, uh, uh, you know, is rapidly increasing. You know, we're talking about in the 2020s, um, you know, the average cost is something like 40 times what it was in the 1980s in terms of extreme weather events, economic impact.
1: Right, I think that's important, right? Like, so you can say it's a moral issue, and I don't want to get into the morality. You can say it's a political and lead. I loved how you framed that. Is it's not a political issue, but it is a politicized issue. Put those two things aside. It is also an economic issue, Brad. Like that's where you know you're going with. Like, assume you're okay, just blowing up the planet for everyone else and future generations, and assume that you want to deny everything else. The economics, if we look at the insurance industry yeah. and, you know, going broke, exiting certain regions, you know, as a result of this, there's economics at play here as well.
0: Yeah. People can't get insurance for homes in Florida and California now because of, of this, you know, it's uninsurable. And if you can't get insurance, you can't get mortgage insurance, you can't get a mortgage for a home. So, you know, the implications of this broadly, economically speaking, are pretty significant.
3: And, and we, I, I totally agree with you. And I think there's, there's two sides to this. One is the immediate impact of of the the damage both to the businesses and homes that are destroyed and to rebuild them you both need to to face into the the inability to get insurance for the next time the claims uh when when there is one catastrophic event it's it's hard enough but when these are cumulative you get black swan events and and the the protection isn't there so you have businesses going under the mechanism for making these um uh, making reparations are are strained, and I read this article uh, last week that said for Greece alone, preventative measures to manage the impact of such fires in the future would require an investment of seven hundred billion euros. Wow, that's for Greece wow. alone. Now the terrain wow. of Greece is difficult because it's very small and very fragmented yeah, with yeah. islands and mountains, but it's a pocket-sized country. So yeah. if the invent investment that you would need in preventative measures which right. we, is what we're all asking for right stop this from continuing is yeah, in the, of the 700 States. billion yeah. imagine if yeah. if where is that going to come from
0: Russia or China yeah now I, it's um the 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 implications of this seem pretty clear on a medium term and long, longer term basis that um you know there will be some point where the math just doesn't make sense anymore right? Um, and the one area that I think, um, you know, at the moment we have the refugee crisis, which is hitting Europe at the moment. And I saw a figure that this year, you know, everyone's freaking out about the immigration crisis. And, and, um, this year we've seen 37,000 immigrants hit, hit the European union, right? But the estimates for the mid 2040s, based on these climate events and based on food scarcity range between 300 million and a billion eco refugees. Right. So look at the chaos that's happening in in Greece and the surrounding countries with 37,000 immigrants. And now we're talking about a billion people being displaced. Wow. Like you, you, you can't, there's there's no um there's no number you can put on that that no. ma- that makes it relevant or make no, any sense you're
3: absolutely right and we don't have the um the mental models uh to process what it all means uh, when I was doing my PhD which is about 20 years ago now there was a <laughs> chap called Francois Germaine who was doing a PhD on environmental refugees and I thought At the time, I didn't know enough about this, but he was specifically looking at some Fijian islands that are sinking at such a rate that their small populations, I think it was um, Tuvalu he was looking at, the populations will need to be homed somewhere else. Now, Australia had offered to take that population in, but without allowing them to retain their nationality. And that's what he was working uh, on because Australia's view is your country won't exist anymore. we will give you an Australian passport. I mean, it's 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 not illogical, right? You cannot be a citizen right. of a country that doesn't exist. Um, yep. But from or can you? The legal framework. Well, you could you that, could
0: be you can be in the Vatican in Italy, right? So yeah,
3: exactly. A
0: precedent, right?
3: Exactly. But it it touches on a very interesting. Um, there is human suffering, right? And I don't want to belittle it. But the legal framework constructs we have around refugees is that when the crisis that drives them out of home is over, they might want to return. Right. The idea that the place that they have come from is uninhabitable, not because right. of danger, uh, because yes. of a landslide of or war, but because it has now been turned into a desert.
0: Yeah, and if that's if you not can't,
3: we're for.
0: yeah, and if you can't prevent homelessness in your own nation, then what chance have you got of providing housing for, you know, a um, hundred million or two hundred million refugees, if that's your? Uh, if that's your share of, of, um, you know, that, that global event. Um, exactly. yeah, it's, I mean, we really are going, you know, th- this is the question I've had, you know, when I wrote techno-socialism, the question I had around this was what was the number before that, that question that we hear so often, um, which is who's going to pay for it when, when that question becomes morally, um, dubious, right? or morally reprehensible for someone to ask that question what's the number that we have to get to I don't know the answer hopefully it's not half a billion people but I suspect it's probably something in that order you yeah. know
3: and and it's going to be getting higher every year we don't yeah. do something about it
0: this is a cheery show to do on
1: a yeah,
0: this isn't
1: how I wanted to kick off a Friday morning, guys. I I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> it's I actually a big time for very... the two of you, but you're ruining <laughs> my Friday
0: here. All right, well, you know, how do we fix it? You know, we, we're if we're giving advice to banks and regulators in the space, what can we do as an industry to to make this better?
1: I think we need to bring it to the forefront, Brett. Like, we, the, it isn't a market at ESG, especially the environmental part of this. Can't be part of a marketing claim or the greenwashing aspect of it. Right. It needs to be front and center to how we think about where we invest and how we invest.
0: It has to be our, it's it's our interpretation of our social responsibility to the community around us, right?
3: I, I I agree with that. I would I would take a a, a sort of s- s- harsher stab at it and and say that when we're When we're looking at businesses, when we invest in businesses, when we choose to partner with businesses, their sustainability is always um, a consideration, right? You're not going to go into business with someone that you think is not long for this world. You just won't do it. And what we're doing is we're treating the planet like it is more expand, expandable than it is. So that longevity and sustainability of the things we do has to become a a financial consideration. Things like biodiversity, uh, climate change. At the end of the day, if you want to continue being in business, you need people to be around and alive to continue consuming your services. So I think there, there are a couple of pieces that boards will need to do that a hard work in changing their time horizon for assessing returns on investments. If you go quarter on quarter, right. you don't care yeah. if the bees all die. Uh, but if absolutely. you think about the next five to 10 years, then all of a sudden it matters a lot. I think we also, and that's closer to our world in fintech, we talk a good game about uh, inclusion. We talk a good game about financial access. Um, but the reality is that the tools we provide are not context specific. If we look at the people that are most affected by these uh, disasters, they tend to be the people who are more insecurely housed, the more um, insecurely employed. And then, you know, you can have a pretty app.
0: Well, this is it doesn't help an interesting you. point because we, you know, we still haven't solved financial inclusion. And and what we do know from, um, who's that uh, refugee group we had on? Yeah international rescue. Yep. Which smells like the Thunderbirds. That's why I always remember it. But, um, but these guys came on and they said, you know, one of the biggest issues you have in refugees camp, refugee camps is, you know, the bank accounts that they had before they fled their home countries no longer work. They're not accessible. They don't have ways to get access to cash, you know? And so, um, you know, in, in natural disasters, the financial system does sort of tend to break down as well. So, um, you know, um, digital inclusions, a path towards that, but, uh, you know, um, what do you guys think in terms of practical solutions? Are you seeing any actions in Greece to, um, help people sort of get through these problems leader? tactically?
3: Some of the, um, initiatives, uh, we have seen have been, uh, charity driven. Um, there's some, um, people like Jansa de Tucumbo who have put their money where their mouth is and have taken out entire hotels for the affected families to live. Um, And that is, it, it warms your heart to know that there's that level of care in the world, but it doesn't, it doesn't solve for access. So it solves the problem by paying for it. But the world of, you know, we're, we're in, um, Insurance was was the thing you were talking about earlier. What we should yeah. be able to offer to the, these people, the ones that have insurance, is quick access. You're past proving what happened because it's on the yeah. news globally. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and and we know that from a regulatory perspective, the regulator is mindful of black swan events. So the insurers that cover all of these people should be able to be like draw down immediately. I will give you yeah. whatever you need because you've paid for it. So that piece is, is 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 easy and it doesn't solve everything, but we haven't put pressure on the right people for it. The second piece is long-term reconstruction, right? At the end of the day, I would like to see A, companies caring enough to put money behind reconstruction, but if they don't care without incentives, then let's see governments. And,
0: and, yep. and um, broad climate adaptation and mitigation as well, right?
3: But why wouldn't you give some, some early mover um, advantages oh, no, as no. a government? No, sweeten that true. pill. We know it needs to happen. Make it easier.
1: And I think it's the ease piece, right? Like we know it needs to happen. We need to take the friction out. Yes. Yeah.
3: We need to take the the friction out. You're 100% right. And we need to make sure that the alternatives won't be viable for a long time. Yeah.
0: It was a Stick and
3: carrot.
1: Stick carrot Sorry. and take the friction out.
3: Exactly. Exactly,
1: and if there's any bigger stick than existential threat that your customers will, you know, be dead or displaced in the next five to ten years, I don't know what else we can we can do to incentivize people.
3: Exactly, stay in business, stay alive.
1: Well, in, in, unfortunately, we are in that time frame now, right? Like, this is no longer oh, generations to come are going to be impacted. Yeah. Everyone uh, here is we, being impacted right we now. We
0: are feeling the effects of climate change already. Let's. There's no mistake. We are in the midst of climate change, right? So it doesn't like, you know, I, this is why I get frustrated over arguments of whether it's being caused by humans or not. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter anymore, We're in the midst of this thing and we've got to either adapt or, you know, we, we have a risk to the species, you know? I mean, that's the, yeah. how binary it is. So um, the fact that we are continuing on, like we've got more time before we have to do something is crazy, you know? Um, but the we don't have the tools, as you said earlier, Lita. We don't have the tools to conceptualize how great a change this is now we have shown as humanity we're quite adaptable when you know the second world war came along and so forth we can put our entire national efforts and you know the efforts of all our corporations and institutions behind you know um an effort to mitigate the effects of this um but this is not like a um you know, a, a, like a warfare situation. I mean, it sort of is like the climate's declared war on it. Is. and We actually, declared war on it, right?
3: I, I, I would agree. So I think that the, the type of focus we need on this is, is, is weirdly akin to the way the world faced into the COVID crisis. And I won't for a moment suggest that everything that was done was properly thought through and accurate, but there was a global realization that this has no boundaries. And this could be life defining and life ending for us as a community. And it wasn't every man for himself and the urgency and focus and realization that it's not Germany's problem or France's problem. It's, it's everyone's problem. I think that degree of focus is what we need now for, for. There is,
0: yeah, there's no such thing as a national climate change policy, right? Yeah. There isn't. There's a global one and that's it. Right.
3: and that's what we have seen in the european context right because it's such a small space and you this see this is that-
0: maybe why europe is sort of going to lead on this i think in terms of standard setting
3: maybe. i think the the central and northern european countries have had Uh, a national climate policy and and an environmental awareness much more than say where I come from. Uh, But within the EU construct, that belief that this doesn't stop at your borders has been pushed out and out and out. And you see that we have so much work to do, but there's at least an awareness that there is nothing you can do on your own here. It's all of us or we all suffer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, we're all in this together. This is uh, on that
1: happy note.
3: Exactly, we fixed it.
1: We're, we're coming that's to time. It. That's I think, it. I
0: mean, if 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 we do act together, if we if we do it together, we can get through this. Exactly. Sorry, it, Jace.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, to bring this to the close, I think we need to make it at the forefront, and it needs to be collective, because you know, as I'm extremely cognitive of, you know, with the impact we've had from the Canadian wildfires and the number of times we couldn't even yes. go outside climate change doesn't like to play by borders right yeah. and it doesn't also like to play by it's going to stay out of the banking sector and i think as financial service firms we need to really lean into it
0: yeah i mean you're going to get to see you're going to see Countries like the UK, Australia, United States try and have policy to say we're not going to take these Zika refugees. But again, that's not a moral position. Anyway, I'm getting back into the conversation. I don't want to do that. So, um, hey, leader, um, what have you got happening uh, right now that people can be uh, watching? You got your leader uh, um, leader talks, right?
3: Yes. Leader talks uh, and leader Rights. Uh, leader I have my um, a couple of uh, talks coming up in the next few months. Some uh, in a in a conference near you. Uh, I will be at CybOS, and you can get a copy of my book there as
0: well. Well, we're going to do um, we're going to do a special show at CybOS, which I think you're going to be involved in, which okay. is going to take a look at the last ten years of um, Inner Tribe. Um, from the oh, Cybos brilliant. stage, including some clips from previous panels and stuff like that. So we're going to produce a special show for Cybos. So That'll
3: be very cool. So yeah, see if we can still stand by the things we said 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs> All right. Thank AJ. you for joining us, Lita, and thank you, everyone, for listening to Breaking Banks.
0: That's it for another week of the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. This episode was produced by our U.S.-based production team, including producer Elizabeth Severance, audio engineer Kevin Hersham, with social media support from Carlo Navarra and Sylvie Johnson. If you like this episode, don't forget to tweet it out or post it on your favorite social media. Or leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever it is that you listen to our show. Those actions help other people find our podcast and in return, that helps us build an audience that can be supported by sponsorship so we can continue to provide you with our award-winning content every week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on Breaking Banks next week.